words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it is great to be with you. Uh, This kind of culmination of our Ordinary Time series in the Gospel of Luke, we've been following along with Luke, and this morning uh, we get all the way to Luke 13. So if you're the kind of person that likes to have uh, the passage up, Luke 13 is is what David just read is where we're going to be. Um, I want to start by sharing just a a really brief story that I don't think I've ever told anyone here. Uh, I don't remember what I did, but I remember where I hid. I was like five or six at the time. And I don't know if I was in trouble or tired. Uh, My parents will probably listen into this sermon and they'll tell me, oh yeah, no, you had, you know, I had done something. But anyways, I decided either through fatigue or fear, Uh, to crawl into my toy box inside my closet and hide. And I had this big, like, huge life size, it seemed to me. It was about as big as me as a five-year-old Mickey Mouse stuffed animal. And I got down in my toy box, and I put that stuffed animal on top of me, got really comfy and cozy, and I fell asleep. Uh, Several hours went by. Nobody knew where I was. A very frantic mom and family had gone all throughout our little neighborhood in West Texas to try to see if I had maybe gone to a friend's house or something. Police ended up being called. Uh, Eventually, they screamed my name, and I woke up from a great nap in my closet to say, yeah, I'm right here. I was was just napping. Um, Maybe I was just napping. Maybe... I was hiding. When I look back over my life, I realize, though, that my response to anxiety and fear kind of follows this pattern. Uh, When I get anxious or fearful, I hide. In fact, I became quite adept at hiding, and it turns out this is not just my default response to anxiety or fear. This is the human default response to anxiety and fear. Why are we afraid for people or God to know who we really are? Why are we afraid of that? We're we're afraid. And we often hide. Apart from Christ, we are so insecure and fearful of rejection. We learn to hide. When I was a kid, I learned to hide not just in the toy box, but eventually through humor. As a teenager and college student, I learned to hide through my performance. And then as a young adult and as a pastor, I became quite adept at hiding behind my words. But let me show you how this actually started. You have to go way, way back. Like this is OG stuff. Are you ready? Genesis 3. They, this is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord. This is after they've eaten of the apple and their eyes have become open to Uh, sin. They hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, look at what they did. They hid. They hid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, where are you? Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you, Adam says. I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. I heard you, I was afraid, and so I hid. The homily today is going to be divided up among a couple of questions, and this this is the first question. 
This is the first question that's asked of God to the first man. And it is the first and most important question you will ever answer. And it's asked from God to you as well. Where are you? This is not a question of geography. The all-knowing, omnipotent, all-seeing God is not confused about where Adam and Eve are in this moment. This is not a question of geography. This is a question of relationship. Where are you? Why have you moved away from me? In the hymn that we sing often that we are prone to wonder, where are you is the question God asks us. Until we are willing to be honest before God and others, we'll never overcome our propensity to hide, not only to hide from him, but to hide from this question this pursuing question of God, where are you? And if you go from Genesis all the way up to the Gospel of Luke, as we've been walking along with Luke, you find Jesus Christ inviting us into the open to come out from behind our performance and um, our posing, whatever fig leaves we've sown for ourselves, and to stop hiding. It's an invitation to honesty and to vulnerability. And I'll tell you what, it can be kind of scary stuff. It's interesting, unlike the institutional church of our day, that Jesus doesn't seem too interested in the momentum of the crowds. Unlike the institutional church of our day, Jesus isn't interested in the momentum of the crowds. He's also not bothered by offending religious leaders and thereby also offending political leaders. What we know about the ministry of Jesus is that he was attractive. He attracted crowds through his teaching, through his sort of shocking miracles. And yet at the same time that he was winning over the crowds, he was also winnowing down the crowds constantly, especially once he sets his face to Jerusalem. And in verse 22 of Luke 13, it says that he's going from town to town on his way to a very particular place, and it is to Jerusalem. And we find here a question, another question, that's not God to a man, but it's a man out in the crowd asking Jesus a question. And here it is. Look at this in verse 22. Jesus went through the towns. He's teaching as he makes his way to Jerusalem. Verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? As far as we know, this is a pretty discerning question because by this point in the ministry of Jesus, we've seen crowds of people come and then fall away and leave him. Uh, he's not real interested in the momentum. He has this way of, of turning to the crowds and saying things like, if anybody would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so people would turn and they would, they would go a different way. They wouldn't continue following him. And this discerning person out in the crowd says, hey, in the end, will anybody be left around you, Jesus? And it's interesting that we know from the gospel writer Mark that the shrinking crowd shrinks so much that by the time Jesus goes to the cross, Mark tells us, I'm, it's just a shocking detail, quote, they all forsook him and fled, speaking even of the disciples. So the question seems sincere. Will anyone in the end be saved? Because this seems kind of difficult to follow you. Now, those in our culture, we've, we've, we're not really aware or accustomed to 
the conviction and challenge that Jesus has issued forth to those that would follow him. We've kind of softened it, but there's, there's no softness in the invitation to follow Jesus. When he says, if anybody would come after me, let them take up their cross and follow me. That's not soft. And so this guy's wondering, well, will there be very many that really get in? I, I just want to pause before we look at Jesus's response to the question and say, I don't think our culture is asking the same question. This guy's wondering, who will get saved and how many? I don't think our culture's asking it. In fact, I think our culture would be highly critical of the idea that there's some kind of exclusivity here that there's sort of a narrowness that's being portrayed even in the question. And we would reject, our culture would reject the question. Well, let me just tell you, you or our culture may not like the question, but I think you're really going to like Jesus's non-answer. Because he doesn't answer the question directly. The question is sort of theological. It's very black and white. And it doesn't necessarily leave room for anything but a dogmatic answer, but Jesus' response is actually, I think, full of mystery and full of relationship, and it's a, it's a non-answer. Now, he does respond, and I want us to pay attention to what he says, and I've kind of framed it around three things that he says about the door. Three things that Jesus says about the door and his non-answer. Here's the first one. The door is narrow. Will, will anybody in the end be saved? Will few be saved? And Jesus says, uh, strive to enter the narrow door. That's his first response. The door is narrow. And so some of you that are listening would go, well, geez, right, right at the start, you're, you're already doing it. You're, you're going with the narrow-minded kind of exclusive thing. But wait, let's, let's consider why is Jesus saying the door is narrow? I, I used to think that when Jesus talked about the narrowness or the exclusiveness of the door that, that, that faith in him is. I used to think of it like, you know, the verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I had this image as a kid growing up that it was like bouncer Jesus outside Club Heaven. And he determined, you know, you got the right ID, like, like almost like he didn't want anyone in. Like you had to be some sort of elite or insider to be able to get in. And, and this, is a, this, this image of God that I had was really distorted because Jesus says of himself not that I am the way, the truth, and, and I, so I'm sort of here to block those that might want to come in. He's actually the good shepherd that his own body, his very self, becomes the way that you and I gain access to God the way in which we are invited in, drawn in, is in fact this narrow door. It's not because he doesn't want everyone to come in or that the invitation isn't there, but there's a few reasons why the door is narrow. I'm just gonna list a few. It's not exhaustive, but uh, one of them is that in order to find this door, you, you kind of have to look down, not up. Verse 22 and time and time again, Luke is reminding us that Jesus is on his way, not only just to the place of Jerusalem, but he is on his way to the cross. And what we know in the New Testament is that this is, this is a problem because it's foolishness to the Greek and it's, it's a stumbling block for the Jew, that the cross of Christ is this 
wait a minute, if you are God, why are you descending to the lowest level of, of punishment available? You have to look down to find this narrow door, and that makes it narrow. You, you come to this narrow door of the cross, not by looking up at what the world would typically look at, but by seeing that the way into new life is actually through death and resurrection. And that means that the narrow door is free to you and me, but it's not cheap. It's ours to open through faith, but this grace that is ours is given at the precious blood of Christ. And we have to remember who is Jesus conversing with here, not only this one individual, but he and his teaching leading up to Jerusalem is, is oftentimes in an argument with uh, the Jewish leaders and the people of Israel. And these are folks who, who had depended upon their hereditary to be insiders. Like, we're in because we sort of have a birthright to get in. And what Jesus is showing them and us is that we don't perform our way into God's kingdom, but we also don't receive it by just tribal hereditary lines. It's not like that. It's a narrow door. We don't just get in like that. This door of the cross is also narrow because you have to have the help of another to access it. You have to look down, not up. It's free, but not cheap. You can't perform your way into it. You have to have the help of God himself to access the door. Now, in our modern day, you and I are a part of a culture that loves to promote the idea of self-help and self-improvement. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We enter into the blessed life because we perform our way into the blessed life. That's the opposite with this narrow door. From the collect that we prayed this morning, we can't even continue in safety without your help. We can't find the door apart from Christ leading us to himself and then enabling us to open the door. We certainly can't access the door if we're just so busy hiding and performing. So one of the ways in which the door is small and narrow is that it's humble, it's lowly. It's a narrow door and it leads us to the cross. But secondly, Jesus says something about the door that our modern ears struggle with as well. He says that there's coming a day where the door will permanently close. That there will come a day where the opportunity to enter the door will be no more. And this is, this is a pretty difficult news. Um, Jesus is saying there's a limit to the opportunity and, and when that limit has closed, when the door has closed, there will be people who will think that because they were in the crowd, they were somehow connected. But you can be in the crowd and not connected to Jesus. And that was the case for the majority of the people around him. They were sort of willing to be in the crowd. They were familiar with Jesus, but they hadn't entered into what's actually required and I, I, I don't know of a better way to say it than this, is not familiarity, but friendship with God. Friendship. Not just, oh, I know of you, because that's what he says they'll report, is that they'll say, we, we know you. We, you, were, you, were, you were right there. You, you dined at the table with us. We were familiar with you. He says, no, no, it's not just that you knew of me, but were you connected to me? Did you have a relationship with me? Had you friended me by faith? 
We know that our vocation, do you know this? Do you know that our vocation as followers of Christ, we're friends of God? And, and, and our ministry on earth is actually to go out into the world and to say, be reconciled to God, be rightly related to God, be friends with God. What an incredible ministry that is ours, but this is all about relationship. Jesus' inaugural address in Luke 4 the book that we're studying, Jesus says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is the, the message of his administration. And what, what is it? What is the focus? To set the prisoners free, uh, to give sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free. And, and this, this summary statement, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, you and I are still in that time. The door is accessible the door is available. The door to friendship with God is accessible. There will come a day where it won't be accessible, where it will close. But we here are in a time where we get to offer and invite people not to just be familiar, not to just ask speculative theological questions about, hey, who gets in, who doesn't. Strive to enter in the narrow door. Pursue friendship with God. The door's narrow, the door will eventually close. And then lastly, Jesus says of the door, um, you're gonna be surprised who, who enters in. It'll surprise you. Now, I don't know if this actually surprises you as a modern hearer of what Jesus is saying, but his original hearers were shocked at the reality that, that people from the north and the west, the, the east and the south, I said that wrong, but you get the idea, everywhere, all over the world, people will come, he says in verse 29, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. These are the actual granddaughters and grandsons of Abraham, not because of tribal kinship, but through, through the gift of faith. They are grafted in. Those who find this narrow door of Christ and the cross, they discover friendship with God that's by grace through faith, and these are people from all over the world. It is a global, perpetual banquet. I, that's pretty amazing. Uh, we're going to share some babe's chicken after the service and some other good sides. Um, can you imagine an eternal, perpetual banquet where there is no end to satisfaction and joy? Where deep friendship, and one of my favorite things in life is to share a meal with friends, unhurried, a, a, a perpetual, eternal banquet. And, and Jesus says that, that even though it is a narrow door, you're gonna be blown away by how global, by how universal this heavenly banquet is. Did you know that the majority of people who call themselves Christians in the world are really um, predominantly poor and non-white? And the picture of the heavenly banquet, uh, it doesn't just look like Denton County. It's a community of sinners and saints who by faith in Christ have reached out and grabbed the door. So the question is not sort of bouncer Jesus like, hey, do you have the right ID to get in? But can we be friends? One of the things that I'm growing to learn about friendship is that with real friends, You've got nothing to hide. You don't have to hide. 
Uh, with real friends, uh, you've got nothing to prove. Uh, what a joy it is when you find a friend or two in life where you have nothing to hide and nothing to prove, and the invitation of heaven is, where are you? And that question is asked to you, would you enter in the narrow door to be friends with God, to discover the joy, by the way, do you know this joy? Of having the God of heaven as a friend where you have nothing to hide and nothing to prove. Not only will it be a joy for you, but you will become a joy for everyone around you because we are in a society and a culture of posers and hiders and liars that can't be honest. Friendship, nothing to prove, nothing to hide. The good news is that this question of God, where are you? And this offer of the narrow door is available to us. And so I just wanna encourage you, don't hide behind whatever fig leaves you've learned to sow for yourselves. Would you come out from behind that into the relationship with God and keep it real? Don't take the free but costly gift of Christ for granted. Don't assume that this is up to you to figure it all out on your own effort. Not only do you need the help of Christ, the enablement of his grace to open the door, but you've got a community of brothers and sisters that are journeying alongside you and this gift of faith, you've got nothing to hide and nothing to prove. And so as we come to the table this morning, would you embrace this gift of his body and his blood poured out for you? Enter into friendship with God, not performance, certainly not hiding. One of the joys of being a Christian is that we can be honest about who we are before God and one another. Every week we do this in a formal way, in just a few moments when we get on our knees. We can be honest. Why? Because we've got nothing to hide. We've got nothing to prove because of what Christ has done for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the joy that you have made this offer of the kingdom to us and that, Lord, you have empowered us to open this narrow door. We pray, Lord, that you would draw more people to yourself through us, through this community um, here in Denton County, that we would be the kind of community that we could say, be reconciled to God, discover friendship with God. That's the goal. Lord, as we continue in worship this morning, would you draw us deeper into that friendship? For those that don't know you, may they hear your voice calling out, where are you? Where are you, my son or daughter? We ask this for your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.